Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Morning, dads, fellow dads. Uh, just once again, happy Father's Day. It is a good thing to be a dad, and just we're praying for you today as you're living in what it means to be a dad and that calling on our life, and I hope you are absolutely loving it. I want to remind you here at One Hope, every year we've been having um, the snow cones, you know, on Father's Day, and we still have that. It's raining, and so one of the things we talked about this morning was maybe they, maybe they can park it deep into the pavilion back there so you can drive back, pick one up, but you know, it's not ideal day, but the snow cones are there, and I hope you'll enjoy them and hope you have a great day. Have you ever been looking for something, and you look in all the places that you know it's going to be, that it has to be, and for some reason you just can't find it? Have you felt that frustration before where it's like, where did this go? I think we can all relate one of the things that every person in this room watching online has lost before is the remote, right? You're looking for the remote in the TV and you're like, okay, no big deal. I'm going to look behind the the pillows. We're going to look in the cushions. We may go that extra step, get down, look under the couch and you're like, where's the remote? I'm trying to watch some TV. Bro, like, what? so so you look all around, you're like, the frustration builds and before you know it, You find it like in the kids' bathroom. You find it in the pantry. You find it in the places that you, it never should be, but there is the remote. Sometimes in life, the thing we are looking for is found in a place you never thought it would be. Today we're going to continue in uh, this series that we're talking through all this summer. It's we're walking through this letter that Paul wrote to the church. And last week we dove into this letter and we got into the, the mindset, the context, the setting so we could understand his words hopefully better than before. And we talked about Paul and how he was the main uh, church planner throughout the New Testament. He went on missionary journey after missionary journey. He would stay uh, these places and build Christ-centered churches. And because of this, it landed him in prison several times. Once again, we reminded ourselves that just because he was put in prison didn't mean his ministry stopped. While in prison, he would write letters, and we have a handful of those letters. I don't think we actually have all the letters, but I think we have a handful of those letters. And one of those letters is what we're walking through this summer, the letter he wrote to the church, to the people in Philippi. And we learned that this is the first uh, church that was planted in Eastern Europe. And Paul had no intentions of going there, but God directed him there through a vision, through a dream. And he, he, he arrives there in Philippi, and, and God moves, and people are con- converted to believing in, in the message of Jesus, and a church is started. And so this is where we are going this summer And if you missed last week, I'd love for you to jump into that. I'd love for you to go back because I kind of set the table for what Paul wants to talk to us about this summer. Now, last week, we did get the first 11 verses, right? Last week, we got the first 11 verses, and it was kind of a greeting. But inside that greeting, we found that, that Paul wanted to address these people, these people that he loved. In this letter that he he. 
he really specifically was writing it not for correction like other letters. He's writing it to encourage them. He's writing them because he loves them. He's writing them because he, he wants God to continue and to finish what was started when he started that church almost 10 years before this letter was written. Now, in those first 11 verses, what he reminded those people, and once again, as he writes to that church, he's writing to you and me as well, he reminded them that they were, what he said, a holy people. They were a set-apart people. At the very beginning of this letter, he's setting the stage for I'm writing you, but I'm writing to a people that is set apart. You are not like the rest of the people in this Roman-dominated city in Philippi. You are living for something and someone different. And your peace and foundation are not under the rule of Rome, where a lot of people found their, found their comfort, their contentment. He says, no, you are under God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, you are set apart. And then the second thing we see, he says, uh, I want to thank you because you are helping advance the gospel. Now, if you remember, I said last week, Paul's an intense bro, right? Like he's a guy we talk about always on 10. You know, on the intensity scale, this is where Paul is. And this is a high compliment if he's telling these people, you are part of advancing the gospel with me. And we ask that question, is this us? Could he say this about us? And then the third thing he talked about is he wants their love to grow. He says, abound more and more in knowledge and in insight. Knowledge of who Jesus is. Insight of how to live. Because he said, we need to grow in knowledge and, and discernment, in wisdom, so we will know to live for what is best or what really matters. Because when we do that, we can end up being the offering. This pure and blameless offering for the day when Jesus comes. So this is how he started the letter. He's like, Here's, here, I want to set the table for where I'm going to go and we're going to move on today. And so we're going to go uh, section um, uh, 12 through 26. So if you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to fl Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Now I want to remind you as we read this, we are going to break this letter up into sections, in chunks. But when Paul would have written this, he would have written it and, and, and either Timothy, Epaphroditus, we talked about them last week, they probably would have been the ones that were reading it, but they would have done it in one setting. But I think it's really important for us to break it down in these chunks so we can digest, we can process, and we can ask ourselves, are we living up to, are we following the instruction that he gave then? So let's go 12 through 26 this morning, this next part. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim without fear. Now it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether uh, from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. A desire, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I, rem I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. These are some good words from Paul. Once again, we're moving on from the greeting from last week. And now Paul is stepping up. He's stepping into his teaching. He's stepping into his instructions. He's stepping into his hopes and expectations he has for these people that he's writing. Now, as his words do intensify, as his words do become more specific, I think there's a couple things he, needs to get, he wants to get across um, in this portion of the letter. First, is picture this. He's a friend. He's not just someone that planted a church. This is someone they've had a relationship with. Remember, they have sent a man to give offerings and, and supplies to him while he's in prison. This is a, a group of people that have a relationship with Paul, and I think he wants them to understand that he's doing okay. Not necessarily doing okay on the outside, because they know the circumstances he's sitting in, right? They know he's in prison. They know he's chained up. And, and as I said last week, every six hours rotating through the guards. Like, life isn't great. It's not a lot of fun. But he wants them to know that on the inside. He wants to know with his spiritual, his mental, his emotional state, he is doing fine in the midst of his circumstances. But secondly, I think he wants them to understand that he knows being a Christian in Philippi, being a follower of Jesus in Philippi is not easy. He knows it. To be a Christian at any place around the world, the known world then, is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. They had no power, they had no voice, and they were in the middle of probably some real persecution when he is writing this. The powerful Romans would have always kept their eye and, and really kept their foot on these people to make sure they stayed in their lane. So Paul needs to speak to them. Paul needs to instruct them. Paul needs to help them. Paul needs to walk them through how they're going to live their life in this setting, in this context, with this weight. And so I think this is important for us as we walk through this letter to remember he's not just writing them, he's writing to us. God is using his words for us today 
to help us to make the decision how are we going to live in our context? How are we going to live in the setting we have? In the world that we sit in, how are we going to live? And so how we're going to walk this through this today is kind of like last week. We're going to break this portion of the letter into smaller chunks. And I think what we'll see is there's three distinct sections where as we walk through these little sections, we'll see three mindsets and foundational ways of living that um, Paul says, hey, this is how I go about life. And in other letters, you'll see he writes, hey, follow me, follow my example as I'm following Christ. I think this is what he wants is, hey, this is how I walk through. Maybe you want to walk through it this way as well. This is how you can be the most um, dynamic followers of Jesus. This is how you can be the the most dynamic church. And so let's break down those sections. I'm going to read them again for you. Nothing wrong with repeating scripture. And so this first one, go back to verse 12. What mindset, what way of living is he trying to allow us to see? He says, now I want you to know Brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim Jesus without fear. Now it's true. It's true. Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but not out of goodwill. See, and the latter do so out of, uh, some preach out of envy and goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, the former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, not sincerely, but they're trying to get me in trouble. They're trying to stir stuff up while I'm in here. But what does it matter? The important thing is in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Verse 17 may seem, I'm I'm sorry, verse 18 may seem like such an inconsequential little phrase, but I think this little phrase, what does it matter, is such a powerful phrase, and it's almost, it gives us a lens to look right inside of how Paul is wired, how he views life. What does it matter? Yes, I'm in chains. No, this is not fun. No, situation is not great. But I feel like if we boil down Paul's mindset and what he shows here is simply this. It's okay. What does it matter? Because when Jesus wins, I win. Paul is giving insight to his people. You want to see what's below the surface. I believe there's underneath everything he has a mentality that says when Jesus wins I win too my peace and my contentment in life even in prison I think it simply become or simply be in reality because when you have a mindset that says if Jesus wins I win Our circumstances don't define us, don't destroy us as much as they could. And I look at this part of his life and I go, I would really like to have that mentality. I would really like to live in a place where I can say, what does it matter? What's it matter what's going on? Sure, I'm in prison, 
But if Jesus wins, then I'm winning too. How did he get to that place? And I think what I, 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 would, I think he'd want us to know is that this mentality came way before he was ever in prison. He decided how he was going to respond to circumstances way before he ever got into the circumstance. And I think we can see where this started was, is way back, and I'm not going to read it today, but in Acts chapter 9. If you read Acts chapter 9, this is the story of Paul going from and just a God follower to understanding what it is to be a Jesus follower. And that Jesus was God. See, if you look in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, you'll see that Paul is persecuting Christians. Acts 9, you will see that Paul is looking for any way to stop the movement of these Jesus people. And so he's on the road to Damascus, and if you know the story, he gets blinded, and he's like, what's going on? He has this conversation, and Jesus reveals, this person you're persecuting is me. I am God. And he spends three days uh, blind and realizing who Jesus is and as he comes out of that uh, Paul transforms from a person who's trying to persecute this name of Jesus to putting Jesus at the seat of being king because before this he was completely surrendered to God because God was the Lord like he was everything he was the authority in his life when Jesus took that seat when Jesus ended up being who God was, Paul started his relationship with God in a place of surrender. And when you start your relationship with God in a place of surrender, then something changes in our life where he now sets the pace for everything. And I tell you guys this all the time. This is little Pastor Scott soapbox. I get it, but I, I want to keep coming back to it. That this is my problem when we have a, a, a moment where we talk about Jesus and the prayer or the conversation we have is, Jesus, I want to invite you into my life, right? You know where I'm going with this because I go back to this. I want to invite you into my life. When we invite Jesus into our life, our life is still our life. And we're including Jesus into it. But when we approach it with Jesus, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to give you my life. Now I'm going to follow and trust you. There's a completely different way of starting it. Because when you start with not just you inviting my life, but you give your life, once again, you're in this place of surrender. And this place of surrender will lead to God being able to set in the pace, the course, the design for everything that happens and you become okay with it. So I think Paul wants us to know that when I surrender to Jesus, he gets to set, set the, uh, gets the freedom to set the course for my life. And when I am in that place, whatever happens is okay as long as Jesus wins. Because when Jesus wins, I win. So can I stop for a second? Do you see the distinction and do you see how we can get off course depending on how we start with our relationship with God? And can you see as Paul starts his way, he's going to live the rest of his life and he's going to go through some junk. But you'll see him over and over going, it's okay. Because he had already predetermined, God, whatever you want, Jesus, whatever you want to do, it's okay. I'm in chains. It's okay. Because look, you're winning. 
The gospel's being advanced. Prison guards are starting to know you. People are starting to proclaim you without fear. It's okay. People are sharing Jesus, but not with right motives. Who cares? What does it matter? Jesus, you win. I win. And I want to have that mentality. If we don't get to the place of surrendering that way, we won't ever experience the peace that Paul experiences even in prison. Section number two. Section number two. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He's completing a thought. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul has three things that you want for your life. Paul has three things that I want for my life. And if you're like, you're the note takers, you got your Bible out, I want you to circle or underline the word rejoice, um, ex, uh, expect, and hope. Jo uh, rejoice, expect, and hope. Because let me tell you what I think he's saying to his people. I will rejoice. I will be filled with joy because I know you're interceding and you're praying for me. So you have me covered. And God's provision, what's it say? Will turn out for my what? Deliverance. Easily, that word right there could be for my healing. Very easily, that word could be for my salvation. So go back with the mindset. I will continue to rejoice because you're praying for me and God's providing for me and I know the end of this story. I know what I get in the end is everything in life will lead to God's deliverance of me in my life, whether it's here or it's somewhere else. If it's in life or it's in death, I know I'll get my healing. I know my salvation. I know he will deliver me in life. And our life changes when we know what the end of the story is. And so Paul, he has had this deep-seated understanding of what God can do, will do, is going to do. And so for him, I'm going to continue to rejoice. I'm going to continue to rejoice because I know where this is headed. But it's not just that he has joy. This next sentence, he says, I expect or eagerly expect and have hope. I think what he has, he has this confidence. When I read, he expects. When you expect something, you believe it, or you're confident it's gonna happen. I have confidence and I have hope that because of, once again, your prayers, God's provision, I'll have the courage to walk through life. Whatever comes my way, I'm not gonna fold. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. I'm going to have this courage because I expect, once again, that I know where God is taking this. And I don't necessarily know the full story, but I do know the end. And I do know my life. And we get caught up in the details. And Paul wasn't going to be falling into that trap of everything. He, he needs to know everything day after day. He is comfortable where it's going to go so he can live in joy. He can live in confidence. He can live in this hope. And every single one of us, we want this in our lives. We want it in our lives. 
I look at these words, and it reminded me of words he said in another letter. Another letter he read, he wrote for the, the people in Rome, and he hadn't been there yet, so I told you before, he sent Phoebe to go read this to them. He wrote Romans 8.20, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and who are being called according to his purpose. When you combine his thought in Philippians, you combine his thought in Romans, and it's all through his other letters. Paul's deep-seated, foundational understanding of the confidence and hope he has in Jesus leads to a joy that his circumstances were not going to steal from him. And I'll tell you this morning that he knows God's faithful. Tell you this morning, he knows that, the, the, that, that, that there's a lot of bigger things that go on in life, but he wants to say to us that God never forgets us. He knows who's in control. He knows where it's going, and that we can live in joy and confidence and hope when? And it's a simple thing, but it changes everything. We put our trust in Jesus. And I was hesitant just to say something that simple, but can I tell you, Sometimes life is that simple. And sometimes you are struggling with a joy, deep something down. You you struggle with a confidence of life. You struggle with this hope of where it's going to go. And my simple question is, well, where are you putting your trust? And challenge you, not where you tell me you put your trust. Not where you just tell, you know, it's the phrase we say, I trust you, God. No, when I'm afraid, do you trust in God, as Scripture says? When I'm confused, do I trust God? When I don't know what's, do I trust God? When we live in a real trust, not just one that we say to sound good, when we live in a deep trust, we can walk through anything, and we will wrestle in life with stuff. Being a follower of Jesus does not take away the wrestling, but it does have the potential through trust to take away that insecurity of, uh, that steals our confidence, that steals the hope, and it ultimately steals the joy how we walk through life. And Paul has the credibility to say this because he's sitting in prison. He can say this to the church because he's like, I'm sitting in prison and I'm telling you, this is how I live. You can too. Here's section three. And I'm just going to boil it down to one simple verse. Famous verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. One day I'm going to die. And that day when hopefully, hopefully my life is being celebrated, this verse I want to be front and center at my funeral. I want this verse to be the verse that's spoken of that day because I want my life to shout this verse so at my funeral it only makes sense that that is what's read. I want my life to shout for to me to, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That it's not a verse that's just, it was a hopefulness, it was an actuality for my life today. Paul, if he had Twitter, I think this would be pinned to the top, okay? 
I think he would be, this would be pinned because this is almost a climactic moment in this portion where it's like he's saying, listen, okay, I've said some things. I've said some things. And I hope you know what I'm getting. I hope you know what I'm saying to you. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to this. All I need is Jesus. The simplicity of life from a man sitting in prison, he can say to the church and he can say to our church, all I need is Jesus. For my life to be everything that I want it to be, the only thing I need is Jesus. Because if I live, it's Jesus. If I die, it's Jesus. It's really all about Jesus. He is enough. This is what he wants. We make life complicated, and he wants to cut through, I think, and go, hey, I know what life, Philippi is tough, man. Like, they don't want you to be Christians there. They don't want, they don't want any of that. You're in your house church, and you're, 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 you're praising God, and you're living. They don't want you. All you need is Jesus. And I'm trying to think about this as like, how, how do I process this in like just simplistic ways? And I thought about this. In our cabinet at home, when Amber and I got married, was this little box. And this little box is flipped open, and inside this little box are little index cards. You know what's on those index cards? From generation to generation, these recipes are passed down in family. And we pass these down, why? Because we've had something our grandmother has made. Uh, we have something our mom has made. We're like, I like it like this. This is the best way. But in order to get it to be like this, you have to have the right ingredients and you have to cook it for the right time. You have to make it the right way. And so when you want the, you fill in the blank, whatever it is you like, you want the biscuits, whatever, I don't care. You want that your grandmother made, you pull it out and go, okay, it's this, it's a little bit of this, and don't deviate from it. Don't deviate. This is all the ingredients that are needed to make this. And if you put something else in it, what happens? It is not going to taste like you want it to taste. It's not going to end up the way you want. Paul's simply saying, hey, here's my index card. And on the index card, all it says is just add Jesus. When you want to add all the rest, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess it up. It's not going to taste right. It's not going to be right. Just add Jesus and you will be fine. And it seems so simple, but then you do it and go, yeah, this actually tastes good. But our problem is, is we want a recipe that's Jesus plus. So we get Jesus, but I want a little bit of this too. I want Jesus, but I also want to add these things in life. So we're like, I want Jesus, but I'm really wanting to get a bigger house next year. I want Jesus, but I'm really trying to advance in the job, and so I'm going after this. I want Jesus, but this is the image I want to portray. I want Jesus, but I want my kids to really do this, and I want them to succeed over here. I want Jesus, but what I really want, and there's other stuff, we put Jesus plus. And what happens in life is, is when we put Jesus plus, life doesn't turn out. We go, what's wrong with life? And the problem is, because you didn't look at the recipe and follow the recipe, and Paul is saying, just add Jesus and you'll be fine. Now, I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with the plus side. I'm not going to be the pastor that guilts you. Get your house, get your boat, invite me on it, like, oh, good, right? 
get your golf membership, take me with you, all the things, right? Like, I'm good. But it's not supposed to be the main course. It's supposed to be the side dishes, okay? And so Paul's sitting in prison. He's like, listen, all I need is Jesus to live is going to be Jesus. To die is going to be Jesus. And you're not going to trap me into adding anything else because this is what the world does and it begins to bring bondage on us. It begins to in, like put chains on us. And it begins to, we, we begin to battle through life and go, why? Well, because you added things. And I think Paul wants to say, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you can live in freedom even when this world puts you in chains. Because when it's all about Jesus, once again, once again, when it's all about Jesus, then when he wins, I win. And when I know the end of the story, then I'm good. And if whether I live or I die, it's okay because my life here was Jesus and my life in eternity will be Jesus. And this really simplifies life when life can get complicated. I said in the beginning, I said in the beginning today that sometimes the thing we want most in life is found in the most unlikely places. The thing you wanted in life is found in the places you're like, I never expected there. And I think that for every person, if we could have one thing, Maybe you all agree, maybe we won't, but is we all want to feel free. We want a freedom, and we see Jesus in, in say, John, chapter, uh, Gospel of John. He's like, he's the truth, and he sets us free. We want this. We, we want freedom from our insecurities. We want freedom from our anger. We want freedom from our doubts. We want freedom from our past. We want freedom, and you could fill in your blank. There's like things that we want freedom from. The problem is, is we want freedom, but we don't look for it in the right place. And so we search in our life and we're trying to change our circumstances. We're trying to change our status. We're trying to change the makeup of life. And Paul goes, I'm sitting in prison. You don't need that because I'm as free as anybody. I'm as free as anybody. Your problem is, is that you're still holding on to your life, not surrendering it. And if you look back, Acts chapter 9, I gave it up a long time ago so prison doesn't bother me. I'm not saying he liked it. I'm just saying it's, it's, he can live above it while in it. But do we do that as a church? Do we hold on to our life and we're looking for everything that makes us feel good, but we look in the wrong places? And Paul looks at us and goes, hey, it's just simple. It's Jesus. We're going to be baptizing people next week. And the theme of that baptism will be you're dead in yourself and you're alive in Christ. This is what baptism is. And maybe there's people who that is not your story. You're not dead to yourself and alive in Christ. You believe in Jesus, but you're not dead to yourself and alive in Christ. And maybe there's another level of surrender, submission that can lead to your freedom. I mean, quite frankly, maybe you need to call me this week and go, Scott, I need to get baptized because I need to live that out in my life. 
Because I haven't gotten to that place. You can sit in church. You can sing worship songs. And you can still live in the prison of this life. I don't equate us being in here as living in freedom. I don't know. I don't know what your story is. But I do know it's available. I do know it's available no matter what you're walking through, but it's, it's found in Jesus. Because he is more than enough for your life. We are living a Jesus life, not a Jesus plus life. And so this morning, this challenge is simply that. As Paul is walking us through, he spoke the words to that church, and I think he's speaking it to us in Tuscaloosa. Is there something in your life, or is it your life you need to surrender? Do you need to say the prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again for me. I believe that life is found in you. Forgive me, I give you my life. Is there some of you who, Jesus, I've believed in you, but I've not given you my life. I've only tried to add you to mine. And it's two different ways of living. And we're going to finish in worship as we always do and my prayer is always as we finish and that music is playing that if God is speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you will turn your seat or you, the altars up here, that you would turn these into a place of submission and surrender that we're always yes people. Will you be a yes person this morning if God is speaking something to you that he wants to bring more freedom in your life through Jesus? So Heavenly Father, God in heaven, you rescued Paul. And then you used his life to change the world. But we are part of that story. You want to change our life. You want to reorder things in our life where you get to set the course for how things can go. And that you want to reorder it so much that we're okay no matter what happens. Because when you win, we win. Because to live is for you and to die is for you. But God, I know how hard that is. This is a daily battle to die to myself and find new life and complete life in you. So God, we can follow you for 50 years and 50 minutes. And you can speak to us about places of surrender. So God, as we sing... Will you speak to your people? May we respond the way we need to respond. If we need to come and leave something this morning at the altar, may we just bring it and walk away in more freedom today. But God, I know you want to speak to us. The, answer, the question is, do we want to listen and do we want to respond? So it's in your son Jesus' name. Pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.